G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our post-draft episode. We will have a thorough review of both the national draft and the rookie draft, which has just been concluded as we record this. Of course, uh, a whole catalogue of players now on AFL lists, and uh, that's essentially the armoury with which they'll be going into battle in AFL season 2021. Plenty of other stuff to talk about too. We'll have vinyl and video for you. We will have life hacks and, of course, the rant off. As I say, a very good afternoon to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you doing, Fine? I'm well. Pleased that we are now basically at full lists. There'll be some uh, minor alterations. I think you can get players through the pre-season by hook or by crook. It's uh, it's a movable feast, as I'm sure we'll discuss. Actually, uh, let's do the whole program in the style of last night's national draft. And the program will take seven hours. Well, that means we we will say a couple of sentences and then have five-minute pauses while people look at half a dozen people sitting around a table. But it was interminable viewing, and uh, I've got a bit to say about that in my rant, as a matter of fact. Um, it's uh, We should actually talk about this up front, and we will in our news segment. But uh, before we do that... Um, I'd like you to mention some wonderful supporters of ours, Finey, and I think you know who I'm talking about. Well, they are magnificent supporters of ours, and we urge our loyal listeners to support them where possible. Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Look, a beautiful burger. 81 years they've been going for, so they are iconic. The burgers have been rated number one burgers nationwide, in various gourmet magazines and newspapers over the years. If you've never tried them, do yourself a favour and have an Andrew's Hamburgers over this Christmas New Year period. It really is an experience that I, I, I'd almost go as far as saying, I guarantee you'll enjoy. You know why? You, yep. you, yeah, go on. No, just the address. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Well, you know, I'd just like to elaborate on that a little bit. The meat patty, of course, is the foundation of any self-respecting burger, but Andrews gives you so much more. They give you tender yet firm buns. Uh, So fresh, you'll feel like they've just been baked on the premises. They'll give you quality fresh vegetables beating with garden freshness. They will give you the best quality condiments and, of course, I'll give you beverages to wash it down with. It is the finest quality, all made with tender, loving care at Andrew's Hamburgers. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I'm starting to feel like Uncle Doug Elliott on World of Sport. Woof, woof, woof. And what about great home renovations, Fanny? 
uh, go no further than West Point Properties. Nick Spartels and his team have remained busy right through 2020, but they'll take your business on board as well. Look, it's really ultimate craftsmanship with an eye for detail and their expertise centres on making the most out of small blocks of land. So if you are in that particular market of having a, a good piece of property, not so large but highly valuable in the inner southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, contact West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, great supporters of the program. And uh, in the spirit of Uncle Doug Elliott, they might even throw in some patch of orange juice and a bataki ham as well as Uncle Doug, of course, he used to carry the bevy of prizes to the coaches on Club Corner. Petra! P-A-P-R-A! Petra! We're winding the clock back a bit there. All right, before we go off the rails too much, too early, plenty of important news to discuss, uh, number least. Two drafts, not one, but two drafts. Let's talk about all that in detail right now. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, we mentioned the national draft, the uh, extravaganza. It was uh, bigger than Ben-Hur, longer than War and Peace. Uh, But a smaller affair, uh, just shortly before we have recorded this finding, but pretty important one too, it is... The uh, Well, in fact, the pre-season and rookie drafts conducted at midday on Thursday, remotely again, uh, based at AFL headquarters. The pre-season draft, which has become virtually uh, redundant, uh, consisted of just one selection, and that delivered former GWS player Jackson Haightley to Adelaide. And they were pretty happy with that. That was the consequence of a trade deal that, failed to be done. So Haightley finally makes his way to Adelaide as um, had been mooted for some time. The pre-season draft, well, that now seems to be largely a forum for clubs to relist players who are delisted. There's a lot of toing and froing with the list now, but the vast bulk of the selections in this rookie draft are players who were delisted recently by their clubs now relisted as rookies and, of course, under the rules now, eligible to play at senior level. Probably the highlights, though, still some good stories in there and a couple of surprises too. Number least, Adelaide redrafting the supposedly retired Bryce Gibbs. We had former Collingwood Premiership defender Tyson Goldsack making his way to Port Adelaide. That's a Interesting one. Um, another interesting one, former Richmond player, Connor Menadieu, a guy who uh, you'd think at another club probably would have played a bit more senior footy than he did. North Melbourne have swooped on Connor Menadieu, so he'll be going to Arden Street along with those players they uh, drafted last night and those that they traded in during the trade period. And a, a good news story too, West Coast. Um, having recently delisted Premiership forward Daniel Venables, who's had terrible issues with concussion. He has been uh, rookied by West Coast, so still with a chance of continuing his career. So what do you make of it? Oh, and then, you know, look, I mentioned the redraftings. Essendon have relisted uh, two players they delisted, um, Marty Gleeson and Dylan Clark. 
um, and a whole lot of players in that boat. Sam Reid, <laughs> re-rookied by GWS for a third time and fourth time in his AFL career, having once been delisted by the Western Bulldogs. So that is, uh, he's been delisted now four times and rookie listed four times. So um, he must be very used to that process and a lot of other similar players. What were the, the highlights of uh, today's draft offerings for you, Fanny? Well, just on the first one, Bryce Gibbs, he's not going to play anymore for Adelaide. That apparently is, and this is why it's so confusing, it's some sort of book entry that allows them to put him on their list and then be able to make room for another selection, either pre-season because there's another chance to pick up players pre-season or a spot for the mid-season draft. But Bryce Gibbs definitely is not returning to play for Adelaide. So there's no second or third coming for Bryce. Whereas the other ones that you mentioned, Daniel Venables has been given a bit of a lifeline and the amazing one is Tyson Goldsack. I mean, that really is at 33 years of age with no sense that he was mounting a comeback, a real smoky by Port Adelaide. That's the standout story. And, of course, a few of the youngsters that were expected to go in the draft proper. Zane True has gone from Swan Districts to West Coast, so he stays in WA, but he was expected to be drafted. And a couple of the other youngsters as well. I think Collingwood picking up Again, one of the players who was expected to be taken in the draft. So good news for a couple of kids that would have been very disappointed last night. And uh, I forgot one of the headlines, actually, and that is Jacob Townsend getting picked up by Gold Coast, which will be his fourth AFL club, of course, starting at GWS, then to Richmond, where he became a premiership player, and then a short stint, just one season with Essendon, now off to the Gold Coast. I think he becomes the third player to play for both the expansion clubs. Uh, Jack Homsch, another one of them. And in fact, Jack Homsch was in this list today too, having been uh, delisted by Gold Coast and now uh, listed by them again. Uh, Bailey Banfield at Fremantle. Rourke Smith at the Western Bulldogs. He's been through this process a couple of times from memory. Uh, Jordan Murdoch by Gold Coast too. So, uh, oh, and another father-son as well, Taj Schofield at Port Adelaide, of course, son of uh, Port Adelaide Premiership player. I've just forgotten. Oh, Jared Schofield. That's it. There's too many Schofields. There's one in Prison Break as well. Remember that, Prison Break? The, yeah, I uh, never, never watched it, but there's... A couple of Schofields are good jockeys. So, yeah, there's plenty of Schofields. Well, Will Schofield, at, uh, no, my greatest memory of prison break is there was always some really elaborate plan to break out with him and his brother. And uh, they'd always inevitably end up in trouble. And then the, the warden with whom they were constantly bluing or someone would look at him and go, how are you going to get out of this one, Schofield? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's how Schofield got out of this one. He has been rookied by Port Adelaide. So, fair bit to digest there. But, of course, the grand production that uh, seemed to be almost an all-night marathon. We don't have the footy marathon anymore, but we almost had de facto footy marathon with 
the national draft held last night. I'm, this is how naive I am. I thought, oh, well, there's, you know, 60-odd picks. It'll take a couple of hours. Well, nope. Started, uh, well, the coverage started at 6.30 on AFL.com. And still going at about half past 11 last night. I think it wound up or even a little bit after that. Oh, it was interminable, the five-minute process, of course, um, in which clubs had to decide who their next pick was. Um, then, you know, various bids being matched for academy players or father-sons. God, it just went on forever, Finey. The uh, highlights were, after all that, were pretty much the sort of things we expected. Um, of course, number one in the draft uh, and had been mooted for some time, the exciting Jamara Ugal Hagen, uh, a Bulldogs Next Generation Academy player. Adelaide bid on him, so the Bulldogs matched that bid, thus taking the number one pick in the draft. Number two was Riley Thilthorpe, key forward material for Adelaide. And Will Phillips, apparently a minor surprise, being picked up at number three by North Melbourne. Uh, what, what were the highlights of the national draft by your reckoning? The sort of discussion around um, the number one pick, Zamara, and I've got to get his name right. Eugle Hagen. Eugle Hagen. Is that correct? It is correct has him as really one of the, the great number one picks of all time. It's, I'm pretty excited to see him strut his stuff. I mean, the Bulldogs have just made out like bandits here, haven't they, if all the predictions are correct. So it was interesting that Adelaide bid on him because really they were never going to get him. And what they've done is deny their first pick, Riley Thilthorpe, the honour, of being the number one pick and also cost him $20,000 a year in salary because there's a guaranteed salary for the number one as compared to the number two. So do you reckon that's the right way to go? Um, They've sort of betrayed him a little bit by their behaviour. I must admit it hadn't occurred to me, a bit of a tactical gambit there. One thing that just occurred to me then is he said his name was Phil Thorpe. That's going to be fun for commentators, isn't it? Uh, how do you reckon, um, how do you Rowan, reckon? There is absolutely no doubt that human nature will make you want to lisp your next sentence after <laughs> saying, even before saying Phil Thorpe, you just, it's going to be difficult to say. It'll sound like everyone's doing a Caroline Wilson impersonation. I mean, you know, it's a tricky name, Phil Thorpe, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes. Um, it wasn't a great draft. There were plenty of hyphens in the draft, wasn't there? Um, I like, uh, I must admit, it's easy to fall for a name. I, and uh, when um, uh, young Archie, Archie Perkins, uh, gave that interview saying, you know, uh, that he didn't really want to move into state, that sort of thrust his name into the limelight before he was picked. And then when my own club, Essendon, picked him up, I must admit, I got really excited, even more so when I saw him interviewed and he had the old surfy necklace hanging around his neck. He looks like a bit of a character, but gee, I looked at his highlights tape and he is seriously good finding. I think the Bombers have done particularly well. That was probably one of the most significant things out of it. Essendon, of course, having those three picks in a row, which ended up being eight, nine and 10, but four of their five picks 
were used on tools. Um, so obviously replenishing stocks there with Joe Danner who now departed and uh, Michael Hurley and Kyle Hooker uh, coming to the end of their careers. So they've got what looks to be a gun midfielder and four young key position players uh, stocked up pretty well. Uh, Collingwood are being said to have done pretty well. Of course, they've picked up uh, a couple of brothers of current AFL players, haven't they? Uh, just on Collingwood, they've, I mean, they're very bullish about their selections, but by all reckoning, they negotiated very well in that that other part of the draft that's become quite sort of um, mystical and hard for fans to understand is the exchange of selections. And uh, they, I believe, because they had a couple of academy selections that they needed to preserve. Again, I'm not quite sure how it works, but uh, they didn't pay too much for Reef McInnes and the other lad from their academy. So the experts, and I'm going to have a bit of crack at them later, are saying that they did particularly well, which is, I guess, you know, remains to be seen. But in terms of the numbers at which they took their selections, I think that eases a bit of the pain from trade from the trade period for Collingwood supporters. Well, if uh, bloodlines are any guide, they, they've done particularly well, haven't they? Of course, Oliver Henry, the brother of uh, Geelong defender Jack Henry, he was their first selection. And Finlay McRae, the younger brother of the Western Bulldogs, Jack McRae, and dead ringer for his brother too. Um, I had a look at both their highlights tapes and uh, both look very handy indeed. So a bit of uh, midfield replenishment going on there for the Magpies. The other good story, I guess, finally, the, the romance of the father-son selection and another, uh, 40 years or so later, another Morris Rioli um, playing at Richmond, Morris Jr. In fact, wow, what, what an incredible name that is in terms of VFL, AFL football now. You're talking about... Uh, some of the finest players we've ever seen, but the Riolis between them have now compiled eight premierships, uh, two Norm Smith medals between Cyril, Daniel, Willie and Morris Senior. Of course, we've had Dean, who was a, a wonderful player, uh, unfortunately curtailed a bit by injury at Essendon. Um, fantastic to see Morris Rioli going around again at Punt Road. Well, I mean, the amazing thing is that every Rioli that's been picked has been a premiership player. You know, whether it's Willie Rioli at um, West Coast Eagles or Cyril Rioli at Hawthorne or uh, Daniel Rioli at Richmond, Dean Rioli at Essendon, they all played in premierships, didn't they? Uh, Dean didn't. Dean, unfortunately, did his shoulder and missed missed out in 2000. Yeah. Uh, So then the, the... for every Rioli that's been selected, his team has won a premiership at least. But yeah, well, well got a very I mean, strike rate. if you want to extend it, well, Dean did at least play in a grand final in 2001, and Morris Senior, of course, uh, played in a losing grand final and won a Norm Smith medal, no less, in yeah. 1982. So a name synonymous with brilliant football, and uh, hopefully Morris Junior can deliver some of that. 
Um, Sydney Swans would probably be pretty happy with their return, I suspect. They ended up with um, two pretty high picks uh, as part of the bidding process. Uh, Logan McDonald, very highly rated key forward from Western Australia um, at pick four. And then the exciting Braden Campbell, a local boy from Pennant Hills, picked up at number five. That as a result of the Swans matching Hawthorne's bid for him. So um, the raps on Logan McDonald are absolutely huge. Um, I saw him interviewed, actually, and it's a very, very impressive interview. He came across as a very level-headed kid, absolutely no problem about moving into state. Um, and you'd think some pretty good mentoring coming his way in the shape of one Lance Franklin. So uh, I reckon the Swans, you know, it's pretty early in the piece, obviously, but I think the Swans might have a, a bit of support as a potential team to jump back into top eight calculations next year. You're happy with uh, how your Saints did, Finey? I think they went the expected route of planning for the future with a couple of key position players, one up either end of the ground. Um, I think the kid they picked up from the Calder Cannons is with selection number 26, a bit speculative. I think most people thought that he was going to go a little bit later. Um, Matthew, I think his name's a bit of a conjecture here, whether it's a hyphenated name or not. Um, McLeod Allison. Yeah, it's either McLeod Ellison or just Ellison in some in some dispatches. So I'm not quite sure whether the McLeod carries over. And Tom Highmore is a mature age player, actually from Canberra, one year with the Panthers in the Sandful. And again, a bit of long term, longer term coverage for key positions than McKernan and Frawley will provide for a year. So that was sort of predictable, I guess. Time will tell whether they're good footballers. Well, every club has their uh, stories. Now, the one that interested me, actually, was um, Port Adelaide picking up Lachlan Jones from Woodville West Torrens. I actually watched the Sandful Grand Final on a live stream this year, and he um, was one of the keys in their uh, pretty big Grand Final win, um, the Eagles. But this kid... He's, uh, what is he, 19, 20. Uh, well, he looks like he's been shaving since he was about five years old. He's, he's a big, big boy. In fact, one could say he could probably lose a, a bit of condition, but uh, he's got a pretty impressive moustache to go with that and a healthy head of hair, but a really, really strongly built uh, young fella. And, um, yeah, it looks like they've worked pretty hard to beef up that back line, Port Adelaide. So good work by them. I like that. I like the idea of a kid that doesn't necessarily um, fit the mould of being one of the what 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 do they have the um, what's that what's that camp that they have prior to the draft that the kids are invited to? Oh, the combine. Yeah, various combines with all the sprint times and the leaping. No, good to hear that he's got a bit of you know weight to lose, but obviously a natural footballer. I like that. I think that offers a bit of scope. I've never actually worked out why it's called a combine, but I'm, I'm sure in um, if history is any guide, it's something that American sport has done and we've just followed suit. 
Uh, all right, so that is the results of both the rookie and national drafts. Of course, that's uh, consuming most of our news bulletin this week. The one other thing um, just wanted to mention in passing, Finey Essendon, after uh, what seemed a fair while, finally settled on a football manager and Josh Marnie, having worked at Melbourne now for, I think, about 13 years, uh, is going across to Essendon in that football managerial role. It was an interesting one, this, because a lot of reports were coming out during the week that um, former Tasmanian football general manager Robert Auld was over the line for the Essendon job. Well, they may regret leaking that, whoever did, because uh, fair to say the reaction from Bomber fans and uh, Bomber people generally was less than favourable. It's fair to say Rob Ald's time in Tasmania was a pretty stormy affair and he was only in that position for about 18 months before heading back to the AFL with a, a fair bit of angst between him and the various Tasmanian clubs and leagues with which he was dealing. So he then pulled out of the process and uh, Josh Marnie, I'm not sure if he was a late entrant to proceedings, but um, I've been having a good chat to a few Essendon people over the last few days, Finey. I think, you know, it's one of those appointments people look at and go, oh, well, Melbourne never done anything special and what's he done? And he sort of got shoved sideways but uh, at Melbourne. But he has got decent qualifications um, and he was, in fact, I'm told, aspiring to the Melbourne CEO's gig. And, uh, of course, Gary Pert ended up getting that. And that may have actually accounted for his uh, move sideways. It's uh, the old club politics. You just, you can never escape it at any AFL club. He may have been a bit of a victim of that. So um, I'm uh, I'm holding fire on that one. I want to see how he works out. But he's certainly a very uh, decent bloke, Josh Marnie, very approachable. And uh, from that point of view, if nothing less, at a very divided club, hopefully will work out well. I don't know if you have any feelings about the Essendon football manager's job. It's okay if you no, know. No, no, no. I think well, well, summarised by yourself. And yeah, that's interesting. The Rob Ald story. I mean, it, it just shows those leaks are sometimes intentional and obviously serve a purpose. And I guess it was a very quick straw poll of opinion and reaction. And as you say he has suffered as a result, but maybe not a bad move by those who did it. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe uh, depends who liked it. Of course, of course, one could ask the question if that was the reaction and he was that much on the nose in Tasmanian circles, hadn't worked at a club previously, uh, which was supposedly one of the key criteria for the job, why was he ever considered? Anyway, um, there's a lot of those similar questions being asked at the Essendon Football Club at the moment. Hopefully, they'll achieve some answers. All right. I think that's enough news for this week. Uh, always a big time of year with the draft. Uh, but time now, Finey, to uh, not exactly kick kick back, but let's, uh, let's uh, adopt a more thoughtful pose as we muse on life and love and loss and lupins, I decided to say. It's a sort of flower, I think, uh, in the following segment. Life Hacks, building a better world. Well, I've got a broad uh, variety of topics this week, finally, that have uh, come to my attention. 
Um, you're probably not expecting this one, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, I've had my son David uh, staying with me the last few days, and he's always keen to introduce me to um, favourite TV shows and things he's watched. And he has tried to draw me into the wonderful, sometimes wacky world of Japanese anime. Uh, you familiar with anime, Finey? Yep. It is the genre that makes me feel old. Yes. Uh, well, it's uh, it's big amongst the kids. They love it. Uh, of course, the Japanese uh, have a, a particular style of drawing their animation. Um, they also have a particular way of delivering dialogue <laughs> when it's in English. Anyway, the show is, and I'm told it's incredibly popular, the show is called Attack on Titan. It's an interesting plot. It's about um, these uh, villagers who are being attacked by these enormous sort of uh, semi-human titans, monsters, and uh, they built a series of walls around their town to keep them at bay, and they break through and uh, a crisis uh, is the order of a day. And, of course, they've got specially trained armies whose job it is to venture outside the walls and take on the Titans, which is a pretty thankless task. And, uh, anyway, David's right into it. And I sat there the other day and watched four episodes with him. And uh, I watched them all and uh, I, I was engaged, but I couldn't stop pissing myself laughing. And every time I did, he'd look across and go, well, what's so funny? And finally, I levelled with him. And it was because, as uh, happens regularly with me, I was immediately drawn back to an old episode of South Park <laughs> called Good Times with Weapons. And uh, it's when the kids of South Park, um, that half that episode is in anime and they're all drawn in that Japanese anime style. So Kenny's... Uh, stupid little hat becomes this sort of wide-brimmed straw thing. And they're all sort of made bigger and, and given muscles, except Cartman, who's made bigger, but it's all just blubber and fat. He looks like a sumo wrestler. But uh, it's something about the dialogue. You know how when the Japanese are trans well, translated into English, the dialogue is always sort of overdone? You know, it's like, uh, I'll have no sugar with my coffee. Hmm. What you see is interesting. Yes. It's, time we, it's time that we look further into it. That's, this is both. It's diabolical. Mm. Yes, I agree. It's like the that's, uh, uh, Chin Pokemon's another South Park episode. Uh, hey, I'm going to take your rooster and put it in this bag where it'll flourish or expire, depending upon fate. Is that a good idea? Or oh. uh, anyway, you get the general drift. And uh, there's a song in the South Park episode, Good Times with Weapons. And the whole time I was watching this Attack on Titan, I had the song going through my head. Um, in fact, I think Damon, our wonder producer, has it queued up to give us a little listen to it right now. Did you like that, Finey? Let's fight in I, I love. Think, 
<laughs> yeah, I love and I love that episode. Isn't that the episode where Butters gets a start, one of those star things to the eye? Correct. And they're worried about him telling his parents and them all getting in trouble. Yeah, so yeah. they take him to the vet instead Correct. of the doctor. And the, uh, he then uh, is paraded around like a dog. Uh, but uh, the, the great thing about that song is that is sung by Trey Parker, who is actually fluent in Japanese. The first time I heard it, I thought, oh, he's just making up words. I don't mean anything apart from the protect my balls bit. But I actually found a translation. This is true. This is word for word in Japanese, how those lyrics you just heard translate. It goes like this. I have a magnificent penis and hair on my balls. Is that sound a monkey? No, it is the ninjas. Hey, hey, let's go. Get in a fight. I'll protect the things that are important to me, my balls. I am to blame, so let's fight in. Let's fighting love. Let's fighting love. <laughs> now that I didn't know. I think there's something in that for all of us. Uh, all right, your first life hack. Right, I'm going to shoot Bambi. Bambi of summer footwear. Over the last 10 years, do you wear thongs, Rowan? I love thongs. Uh, have you been taken in by the uh, expansive marketing? Not that I even know that they market, but just the omnipresent heavy armour? No, well, I'm glad you said that because I am a Crocs man, Finey. I've had two pairs of Crocs that have lasted me a long time. They are super comfortable and I much prefer them. Well, I've gone through a lot of pairs of Havianas and I now realise that they are a Croc. Look, they just don't last. I'm sorry. I've, I, I, I know that they come in all different colours and all sizes and they're, they've been... So the, they're super cool and they're probably better than the Clark rubber ones that used to last a day and a half. But I actually found, or my wife found, better pairs on the internet that really do last. I don't know what brand they are, but they're one piece. Because the problem with the Haviana is that plug, you know, that little round plug down near the toes. Always comes loose. It just comes out. Normally when you step on a sort of uh, concrete with water on it that creates suction. And it's just this unfortunate force of pressure that, you know, out it pops. And once it pops out, she never works properly again. But I just was going through so many pairs of Havianas before I realised at 30 bucks a pair, maybe even more now, I think they're not what they are made out to be. I agree. That's my, that's my take. Uh, I agree. Can I point you in the direction of thongs? I'm looking at them now, actually, because I my Crocs finally gave way and I uh, wanted to buy some more, but unfortunately the Crocs shop at Chadson is temporarily closed. And, uh, of course, I can't do anything outside Chadston. Um, so I bought my current pair at none other than Chemist Warehouse. Yes, I was the only person walking around Chemist Warehouse without a shopping basket, absolutely bursting at the seams with protein powders and you name it. But I got these thongs at Chemist Warehouse for $5, Finey. And uh, yep. I, th I think they're just as good as Havianas. Yep, yeah. I, I, as I say, I think we might be shooting Bambi here, but sometimes 
Bambi needs to be shot. All right, my second one. Uh, it is a appeal to all you young folk out there. I know we have some younger listeners. In fact, I do know that for sure because I was speaking to a couple of them the other day. Well, young men, I have some and young women, I have some advice for you. That is, as you get older, don't let yourself go. And by that, I mean don't put on weight because the older you get, the harder it is to get off as I'm discovering now. We talked about this probably a year ago, Finey. I came back from overseas looking like the Goodyear blimp and uh, I um, henceforth got on the treadmill and I got on the 5-2 diet and it worked wonders for me. I actually lost something like 15 kilos and I thought stupidly, I thought, okay, well, I've broken the back of it now. It's just a maintenance job. And then I got a little bit complacent and then lockdown happened and then I started eating takeaway food and then I got on the chocolate, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, we open up again. I jump on the scales and what do I see? I see a figure, a horrendous figure. In fact, I'm going to share it with people now because I don't mind. Uh, uh, I don't mind sharing the gory details as part of my renewed weight loss journey. I was tipping the scales at 117 kilos. Oh, that's a lot. That is a lot. And uh, so I'm now back on the treadmill as of the start of this week. Back on the treadmill, not too vigorous to work at to start with, but I'll build up. I'm back on the 5-2 diet, and that takes some getting used to because it's starvation city on those two fasting days. And I'm confident I can do it again, but, geez, what a process. It's going to take me at least, I reckon, five, six months. So I implore you, you youngsters out there, don't get complacent. Don't let yourself go because... When do you get to our age, you're going to find it one hell of a hard task to lose that weight. You mark my words. Good advice. All right. Your second life hack, please. Okay. Now, I'm a big supporter, a believer of doing your uh, food shopping at the market. Not the supermarket, the market. And I'm talking about your fruit, your vegetables, meat, fish. So we're approaching Christmas, New Year period. A lot of people are celebrating. And I've long been a big fan of Paran and South Melbourne markets, but I have to admit that they are no places for value. Uh, they've got great gourmet selections, but they're no longer, as markets used to be, the best and the best available pricing in those areas. I admit that, but there is one market that still offers that. We should never forget. Victoria Market, it is a magnificent place to shop. It might not be as, in fact, some of the some of the stalls are as uh, sort of bespoke and uh, artisan as you'd find at South Melbourne and Paran Markets that are the two gourmet markets in Melbourne. But Victoria Market has such a competitive nature to it with so many butchers, so many fishmongers, poultry sellers, vegetable stalls that you really do get some good value there so if you are seriously feeding now that we're allowed 30 in the house a big crew come christmas or over new year for new year's eve then my strong advice is to head to victoria market because you'll get high quality produce and it's the only place you'll get a genuine competitive price in melbourne what's the car parking like those days because that's always an issue not bad 
not bad. Okay. They've got a big car park there and, yeah, you might, if you don't like paying for your parking, there's some free parking, but you'll have to drive around. But, no, car parking is as good as you'd expect in the city, even better probably. I'm trying to do my shopping in smaller amounts now. I know it's a bit of a pain, but whenever you sort of do a weekly shop, I get, I get so sick of having to throw away fruit and vegetables and stuff because you don't get through it. I'm, I'm trying to sort of buy, not by the day, but only in a couple of days uh, amounts. So you are, are you a once-a-week shopper or a several-times-a-week shopper? Look, with, with four kids still eating heartily on the, um, on the parents' tab, it's probably I, – I, I think what you're saying is really sensible um, – how many are you shopping for? Uh, three. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd almost say that we are governed by the size of our fridges and pantries. And I was saying to Natalie, we should get a smaller fridge because you're spot on. It's heartbreaking to throw away stuff. So I just think that we do overshop still a bit. And the best way not to overshop might be to sort of reduce our storage space for food because it's heartbreaking to throw away stuff. But it's, we it is, probably it, is heart, it is heartbreaking, but it does at least give you the chance to use that famous old line that our parents always use with us finding is, think of all the starving children in Africa who could eat that. Did you get that? Yeah. I, I, not in Africa, but... You know, we got the, coming out of the Second World War, we got the, when I was your age, a crust of bread, a crust, you know, you never throw away food. But the line is, you know, one of my favourite lines, I can't remember what movie it's from, but it was, it, but it's, um, somebody's begging for money and, and says, um, um, money for the poor, money for the poor. And whoever they were asking the money from said, I is the poor. And uh, <laughs> that's the line I've been using lately. Think about the think about people less fortunate. I am those people. All right. Very good. My final life hack. Now, back on a footy theme here, and um, I'm wrapped about this. So, you know that buzz you get finding as a, a dyed-in-the-wool footy fan when you, you used to get it going to watch the reserves and you'd see some young kid at the start of his career, play reserves footy and you'd follow his progress and you'd see him improve and then he'd make his debut and you followed his whole career essentially and you said you, you had a real sense of pride in him. Like just because you'd watched them play and been part of their journey, you've had that feeling, haven't you? Absolutely. Well, I've always sort of fantasised about having that same feeling Um right from a very, very young age, you know, like seeing a kid literally grow up and graduate to league football. And it's always been a bit of a pipe dream of mine, a pipe dream of mine. And it's finally been realised. What am I, who am I talking about? I'm talking about the number 20 pick in last night's national draft. His name is Max Holmes and he has been drafted by Geelong. Uh, I have known Max Holmes since he was five years old. Why? Because he's an East Melbourne boy. He went to primary school, Lloyd Street Primary, with my son, David. Um, that's where I met 
Max's family and his parents, uh, Anthony and Lee. Lee, of course, is former Olympic athlete Lee Naylor. Um, very, very distinguished athlete. Uh, Max has great genes, but um, he's a great kid. They're a great family. There's a, a couple of other kids as well in the Holmes clan. Um, I've spent a lot of time at their place and in their company over the years. They're great people. Uh, I sent them a message last night. They are absolutely wrapped at this. It was actually one of the big surprises of a draft. It's a, it's a good story for him because Max has played very little footy in the last two years. None this year, of course, because of COVID. Last year, I think he only played one or two at most TAC games to Sandringham. Broke his arm, so that was it. Um, he had pursued athletics for a while previous to that, so um, footy wasn't even on the radar. But as you might imagine, given the genealogy, uh, his, uh, all his testing and stuff at the combine was off the charts, so that really attracted clubs to him. But I will never forget this moment, Finey, um, when uh, David and Max were about six, seven years old. I was around there one day and the footy came out and David and Max started kicking the footy to each other and uh, not to put a slot on my board, David, he can handle himself as well. But Max, it was you know how kids sort of kick the footy a bit awkwardly? Well, Max is kicking these perfect drop punts. He's kicking torps. Uh, the, you know, the kicks are coming back to him wide. He's just dragging the ball in with one hand. It's pretty unusual to see clean ball handling at the age of seven. This kid, and I, I just stood there literally open-mouthed watching him, and I turned to Lee and I said, Lee, he's going to play league footy. You know, we had a giggle about it, but I, I tipped this fighty with Max Holmes back at the age of seven. There's another good moment. I've actually got a video of this, which I'm trying to dig up at the moment. Uh, the 2010 Grand Final, they're all big St Kilda supporters. And I was doing some Vox Pops outside the MCG uh, on grand final day. And uh, I happened to bump into Max and his dad, Anthony, going into the game. So I interviewed Max on this Vox Pop. So I've got this tape somewhere. I've just got to find it. I have this little 10-year-old Max talking about how St Kilda's going to go in the grand final. And he, he, he knew what they needed to do and, and uh, who should be playing where. His footy knowledge is great. But he's a great kid. He's a lovely, lovely kid. Fantastic athlete. And I can vouch for his skills. So I'm, I'm taking a real sort of de facto fatherly pride in his being drafted. I'm certainly going to be keeping a very close eye on him. And Geelong fans, um, give him some time because he hasn't had much footy in the last couple of years. But I think it'll be worth the wait. He is an incredible athlete and uh, a wonderful young man. And massive congratulations to you, Max, and all the Holmeses. It's a, a fantastic moment for you. And a fantastic moment for East Malvern, Finey. Well, let's hope St Kilda can do it. Jack Higgins. And you remember Jack Higgins was a young St Kilda fan. Correct. Maybe snap up Maxie when he's just got a couple of good seasons under his belt. No, all the best for him and Geelong. And they must have really fancied him because they isn't that the player that they got with trading their first round pick for next year with Richmond? Correct. Yeah, so they've obviously had a um, real hankering for him. Must be a very good player. Great story. My final hack, Rowan, is similarly about a young sportsman, but sadly not 
with the same optimism. And gee, just I, I cannot believe what has happened to Will Pukowski. Mm. Uh, I'm a huge fan of you know any Victorian cricketer that makes his way through. Uh, I think there's a real thing about Victorian cricket that we love seeing our batsmen, especially, make it onto the big stage. And he's had concussion problems before, and of course, some extending from that mental health issues that have held him back and to get struck again in this trial game is just, you know, well, it, it really, it really set me back on my heels and, you know, and I'm not in any way connected to Will other than just a huge fan. I can imagine himself and family and those close to him through Victorian cricket and Australian cricket must be, you know, just at the moment concerned about the young man, but just wondering what is what next for this precocious talent. Yeah, it was uh, it was upsetting to watch, wasn't it? And uh, you can't take a trick, can he? I mean, um, yeah, I was a, a lot of people massively looking forward to his his Test debut and. Yeah, gee, it's a worry, isn't it? I think we've all, you know, obviously the Phil Hughes tragedy, I think, has made us all so much more aware of how dangerous competitive sport can be. And, um, yep. yeah, he's, he's, uh, his health has got to be paramount. So, uh, yeah, let's hope if there's any doubt at all about his fitness for that, um, that first test that they exercise due caution and we get to see him in action a lot longer as a result. Yeah, and of course, in that same game, Green made that first inning century. So it just shows the, um, indeed, just widely ranging fortunes of these two young and, and hopefully both future Australian batsmen. Yep, good call. All right, that is Life Hacks for this week. We covered some interesting territory there, and that's exactly what that segment is supposed to do. And we're going to cover some more interesting territory now. We are going back in time, Finey, and uh, vinyl and video, of course, coming up. We're not going back too far, though. This is definitely 21st century material. Let's do that. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. All right, well, we are uh, we're running short of years, finally. There's still a few to get through, but uh, we've got to um, order them carefully so we don't get a run of consecutive years. So uh, I've taken over the choice of years. I've made an executive decision. We are back in the 21st century, and we are late in the first decade of the 21st century, finally. We're going back to 2008. Any particular memories come to mind for you when I say 2008? Uh, not particularly. No, so. not, nor me. Uh, you can tell we're old, can't you? We're cr- definitely creatures of the 20th century. I guess you'd think uh, Beijing Olympics. Um, that's about it, really. But plenty of great music, plenty of good movies, TV, and, uh, of course, footy memories. And we've got one of each to bring to you now. I'm going to kick us off with music, Finey, and I have to say one thing, and that is to you, 
a very, very big thank you. This may surprise you, but it was you who introduced me to the band whose album is the subject of my uh, music choice. That band is Electric Mary, and the album is Down to the Bone, released in 2008. I still remember this. I was on your SEN Evenings program one night. Uh, I think it was off-season. We weren't doing teams. We were just sort of shooting the breeze, as we're prone to do. And you brought up Electric Mary. I had never heard of them. And uh, I'm ashamed that I've never heard of them, but they had been around for some time even then. And you said, oh, let's play a little bit. And um, whoever was panelling or producing put on a snippet of uh, Let Me Out, the opening track yep. of this album. And I was sitting there just going, this is sensational. And it is. This is, if you haven't heard Electric Mary, it is classic Oz pub rock. It is Big, big, beefy sound. There is a fantastic live clip of them on YouTube playing at the Gaelic Club in Sydney, which I thoroughly recommend as an introduction because the sound is brilliant. It's a massive sound. Now, the lineups changed a fair bit over the years, but when they did this album, this was their first um, full length album, uh, the main protagonists in the band were. Um, of course, the lead singer, Rusty Brown, who has an incredibly guttural but resonant, vo deep voice. And remember the band Southern Sons, bit of a heartthrob act. And, of course, the frontman for Southern Sons was Jack Jones. That wasn't his real name. His real name is Erwin Thomas. But he is one hell of a guitarist as well as a vocalist. So he does backing vocals on this album. But you want, you know, real foot-thumping, um, you know, uh, beer keg downing, good old Aussie pub rock, Electric Mary is your band. And this album is your album. Highlights, Let Me Out, the opening track, One in a Million, um, the absolutely cracking No One Does It Better Than Me. I love that song. Love Me and One Foot in the Grave. It is a fantastic album. I don't know why, maybe it's just a reflection on the rock music scene in Australia now. It's pretty splintered and rock music probably isn't sort of up front in the main genre that's played on radio now. But these guys, they should be so much bigger than they are. Not that they're not exceedingly popular. Still going. Brought out another album last year, which I've heard and is very good. But um, this, their debut album, Down to the Bone, classic Aussie rock Get some India and thank you again, Fani. Uh, it is probably the best thing you've ever done for me was get a bit of Electric Mary into my life. Oh, I'm wrapped that you've gone with Electric Mary. And I, I got to know them through Rusty, who was a huge fan of the radio program and a, an enormous Sydney supporter, like just absolutely loves the Swans. And they played one of their sort of comeback gigs in the Gershwin room at the old Espy. And he invited me to come and I went up, you know, up in the band room before they came on to play. So the rest of the band head out to down the stairs and into the Gershwin room. And the lead singer, Rusty and I are sitting up there over a beer talking footy. 
<laughs> and you could hear the, I mean, the group room was packed and you could hear them sort of, you know, stamping their feet, almost ready to, where is Rubber Aspie? And he goes, oh, delete, you know, expletive deleted. I better get down there, finally. Sorry, we'll talk, continue this after the show. <laughs> nice. We sort of walked on there two minutes after the rest of the band. Yeah, fan- fantastic but live act. Yeah, check them out live yeah, on YouTube. Great live. Right. Just yeah. great. All right, what do you got for us? Okay. Music we're speaking. All right, I've got a really interesting performer, hip-hop artist, poet, sort of spoken word hip-hop artist, actual name David Meads, who now is more an actor than a hip-hop artist. But he goes by the name of Scroobius Pip. And in 2008, he released his first single, which was Astronaut, which is good, not great. But I really urge people to check out Scroobius Pip. Now, if I could point them in the direction of two pieces of music, there's one which is sort of his iconic piece and, and best known, and it's Scroobius Pip versus Dan Lassac, and it's called Thou Shalt Kill. And I reckon you'd, you'd enjoy it, Rowan. Okay. I'm Even though you're not a hip-hop fan. Just lyrically, it's, it's great fun. It's interesting. Um, and then just Scroobius Pip on his own does this extraordinary piece called The Struggle. And again... I really urge people to listen to it. The struggle has, I won't give it away. The struggle has as its um, content matter, as its, as, as its subject matter, something that is so extraordinary, it's, un, it's hilarious. It, it's not true, but it's just fantastic that his mind came up with it. So that's the struggle. And the other one is Thou Shalt Kill. All right, I've written them down and I will do my homework and report back to you. Yeah, um, do, do. All right, movies. Uh, now, I've got to admit my um, uh, movie-going days are probably well and truly behind me. I see a lot fewer releases now when they come out and even a long time after they come out. I did see this one, um, yeah, a fair few years later, but I'm really glad I did because it is a ripper and it was suitably um, rewarded at the Oscars on talking about The Hurt Locker and uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow. Um, The Hurt Locker was nominated for no fewer than nine Oscars finally and it won six, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, also the only best picture ever directed by a woman, which might be a reflection on the Academy as much as anything. What's it about? It is, well, for those who haven't seen it, it is about a US Army explosive disposal team during the Iraq war, the recent Iraq war, more recent Iraq war. Um, And Look, it's, it's the plot's pretty straight up and down. It basically follows them in their work and the various horrible situations they encounter. But when, to say a war film is realistic, you know, it's a big call. It's pretty hard to recreate, I would have thought, realistically. But this one just does it to a T. Of course, set 
in the uh, heat of the Middle East. That is the thing. It's the physical surrounds and the incredible tension and pressure that these guys work under, knowing that you know every sort of civilian they encounter might be uh, wired to the hilt with explosives, or every car they walk past, and that's uh, that's their bread and butter. And it's incredibly tense ride all the way throughout. You have a real empathy with the characters. The three main characters um, were deliberately cast, um, or the actors chosen to play the roles. They deliberately went for relatively unknown actors. They were uh, Jeremy Renner, who plays Sergeant William James, who leads this division. Um, Anthony Mackie, who plays Sergeant Sanborn. And Brian Geraghty, who plays the uh, bomb specialist, uh, Owen Eldridge. Eldridge sorry. Uh, there's a couple of well-known actors. Guy Pearce is in it. Uh, how do you say? Is it Ralph Fiennes? Is it pronounced Ralph? Yeah, Rafe. Okay, yeah. Well, Rafe Fiennes is in it. Um, but it's the three relative unknowns who play the lead roles, and they are fantastic in that. Um, you know, there's stuff like the, uh, the, the lead character, William James, uh, befriends a young Iraqi boy, and, uh, you know, there's some tragic circumstances around that. Um but they went to incredible lengths to make this a realistic depiction. They shot the film in Jordan, um, within miles of the Iraqi border. I read something about this yesterday. There were 44 days of shooting. The average temperature where they were shooting across those 44 days was 49 degrees Celsius. So there was no prima donna Hollywood stuff going on with their own trailers and everything. It was very, very Spartan. And uh, that had a considerable impact on their acting performances as well. But I haven't seen many movies that has been as tense, you know, fingernail bitingly tense as this one right the way through. And the whole time you're watching it, you're expecting disaster at every turn. Um, it's a great movie. Look, I'm not a huge one for war movies as a rule. But this one is up there with the best that I've seen. The Hurt Locker, directed by Catherine Bigelow. You're just crazy because of the name Bigelow. What, Doug Bigelow? Great Essendon name, Bigelow. <laughs> no. Have you seen The Hurt Locker? Yeah. You know, I can't remember the movie in its entirety. I just remember the opening scene. You don't have a second to settle into the movie. The opening scene is that sort of heart-stopping take you you know that that absolute on the edge of your seat fingers into the armrest and that's where you sit for the rest of the movie correct all right what's your movie all right well i'm departing from our normal procedure rowan oh no uh because i'm choosing the movie that i would have to list as my most hated movie ever oh really the most despicable movie I have ever seen. If you are going to name a movie after the country that I love and live in, Australia, it better be good. Well, it wasn't. Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman traipse around the outback that has been zoozed up by Baz Luhrmann you know, the last time I saw the Outback, 
it wasn't covered in frilly doilies and soft throwdowns, but this outback was. There was a lot of dancing and it's just an absolute pain in the ass. This movie, I don't know how long it goes for, but I remember watching it and thinking, it can't still be going. It doesn't really do anything, tell anything, say anything. It's fair to say that it's not how proudly held up by Australians as you've got to see Australia because this ain't Australia. This is some sort of strange marriage between Moulin Rouge and Walkabout. It's a very, very annoying movie. Walkabout is. It? I like Walkabout. Walkabout's a good movie. I'm saying, but I'm saying, but you wouldn't you wouldn't crossbreed it with Moulin <laughs> no, Rouge. Probably not. But that's Baz Luhrmann, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not a big Baz Luhrmann fan. Yeah, well, he zhuzhes up the outback, and it doesn't need zhuzhing up. Okay, all right. You have departed from the script. You couldn't find a movie you liked in 2008? Oh, no, there were movies I liked, but I thought, you know, this movie has to be publicly panned. All right, well, you've done a fairly effective job of that. So uh, take that on board. Apologies to Ms Kidman and Mr Jackman, who I know are regular footyology listeners. We'll make it up to you. Um, all right, let's do TV now. And uh, I'm going local for TV, finally. Uh, couldn't find anything internationally which uh, wet my whistle. That wasn't really the right analogy, but never mind. Um, so I've gone local. Now, this show, it's a proven winner. in So proven, in fact, it is now into a 12th season. There have been no fewer than 118 episodes thus far. Because it's simple, but it is a great concept. must admit, when I first heard it, I didn't think it was a great concept. But as soon as you watch it and see the people involved, you realise why it works. I'm talking about the show initially called The Gruen Transfer, now just known as Gruen, on the ABC. Which, if you've never seen it, is a weekly look at the wonderful, weird and wacky world of advertising. Hosted by Will Anderson, who I love Will. I reckon a very funny, very talented man. He's the host. Um, There's rotating panels, but the two constants are two well-known advertising men. Russell Howcroft, who um, has, uh, well, he's done a number of roles. He's worked with Price Waterhouse. Uh, He ran Channel 10 for a while. And now, of course, he has taken over John Burns' role on 3AW's high-rating breakfast show with Ross Stevenson and killing it again. I know Russ pretty well. He's a uh, very funny bloke and um, he's an advertising whiz. They deconstruct ads. They look at examples of ads, why they work, why they don't work. Um, There's some great segments. Of course, the other regular panellist is Todd Sampson, who um, has also... Uh, had a lot of success pursuing his own TV ventures off the back of this very, very successful show. They have, uh, there's some great segments and they they swap around pretty regularly, but uh, one of the best ones they've done is um, a segment called Endorse Me, where the job is to find an appropriate sponsor for an unlikely person. And uh, the sort of people they've used for that was, for example, Carl Williams, the uh, of course, a gangland figure no longer with us. They had to find a suitable um, sponsor for Carl Williams. 
Uh, there's another segment called The Pitch, where representatives of a couple of advertising companies are asked to create a campaign for a pretty unlikely product or, or event or, or you name it. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Dee Madigan, another uh, leading figure in advertising, deals with the political world. Um, she's a regular as well. It's a really funny, engaging and intelligent show, Gruen. And um, I've watched as much of it in recent times, admittedly, but uh, always recommend it. Uh, certainly isn't a show that insults your intelligence. And uh, I think it is rightly very popular, even into what is now a 12th season. So that is my TV pick. Yeah, I like Gruen because it's not a show that you have to watch religiously. I sort of come in and out of it and always enjoy it. And I think that's part of its beauty. Will Anderson's great as the host, though, isn't he? He is. Uh, he's a good friend of uh, the show, by the way, Will. We, uh, if you're listening, Will, thanks again. Uh, Will regularly retweets us, and he has a considerably larger following than you or I on Twitter, Fanny. So uh, he's a good man, Will, and always happy to give him a plug. All right, what's your TV pick? The big one, Breaking Bad. Ah, was that 2008? Okay. Yep. 2008. All right. Now, just before you say anything, no spoilers, please, because I still haven't seen it. Okay. So I'll just give you the sort of uh, the bones of one of the huge mega hits of TV in recent times. And whoever would have thought that the dad from Malcolm in the Middle or the dentist from Seinfeld would go on to become TV's most watched, I wouldn't call him a baddie, but criminal. Uh, Brian Cranston's the actor I'm talking about, who plays Walter White. And Walter starts off this program just as a high school science teacher. And he's a high school science teacher uh, with a ticking time bomb that he's got cancer. And that leads him to make some pretty ordinary decisions. And one of the ordinary decisions he makes is to get involved with one of his students and they become incredibly, for a TV series, uh, crystal meth cooks, ice cooks. And for five seasons, we go through the most incredible double life as lived by Walter White and uh, with his wife and with various characters, Mexican mobs, um, you know, just the, 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 the most incredible stories. And somehow he avoids detection and he avoids being murdered. And he does that for five seasons of really brilliantly shot, very cleverly shot TV set in New Mexico, which is a little bit different. And it's shot in New Mexico, so you get a lot of the desert, a lot of the feel of that sort of um, uh, Mexicana-style border life. But it's an amazing story and one that... It's one of those shows that I watched before you could consume programs as you can now. You know, you can um, gorge on programs, watch basically an entire series an entire season a day. So you could watch this in five days. What's that called when you do that? Binging. Correct. So 
this was watched week from week to week. And I remember there was nothing as sort of upsetting as realising, oh, that's the last one for the season. And knowing that you had to wait seven or eight months till the next episode. So it was pretty addictive, like the subject matter. You should uh, try that with Game of Thrones between season seven and eight. I think it was a two-year wait. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of people, uh, including my son, actually, would say it wasn't worth the wait. Um, but uh, you know what? Look, I've heard, obviously, I've heard about Breaking Bad. I've had it sitting there on my hard drive to watch for at least two years and just never got around to it. But you know what? I reckon it's high time I did. I may even start watching it tonight. Uh, and your glowing review will be pivotal to that decision. Oh, you'll, you'll, let me tell you, you'll be scratching your head. At one thing that kept sort of resonating was how on earth did they sell the concept of basically sort of the hero of the show being a meth cook? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Anti heroes are pretty popular, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've learnt that, but it, it, it's it's amazing because you are rooting for him most of the time. All right. Okay. Uh, final one in vinyl and video. It's not vinyl and video, of course, but it's a football memory from the year in question. Uh, 2008, I think, brings to mind two things, Finey. I'm going with one of them. You're going with the other one. My one is Buddy Franklin's 100 goals. Now, what an incredible feat that seems like just 12 years later. Uh, so rapidly have um, the fortunes of spearheads declined in terms of their output. We regularly see the Coleman medal one now with tallies of just 60 odd uh, this year, of course, different again for obvious reasons, but um, Buddy Franklin stands out like a colossus in the goal kicking pantheon in this two th 2008 season. He was amazing. Of course, it ended up being a fantastic year for his team as well. But Buddy was just on fire. This was him at his athletic, mobile, freakish goal-kicking best. Uh, bought up his 100th goal for the season, memorably against Carlton at uh, Eddie, or what was it then, Telstra Dome, uh, in round 22 of that year. Of course, the ground flooded by the adoring Hawthorne Hordes as soon as he brought up that milestone. Um, 25 games to the season, including three finals. So he played every week, finished the season with a tally of 113 goals, 88. So imagine if he had his uh, radar going a little bit better, how many he might have kicked. But the sheer weight of opportunities in this day and age, absolutely phenomenal. He kicked one bag of nine goals in the season, he kicked three bags of eight, five bags of six, three bags of five, five bags of four. In short, um, there were he kicked at least four goals in 17 of his 25 games. Uh, again, seems incredible today. And um, he is, uh, well, I think that was the moment we all realised we weren't just talking about a star we were talking about potentially one of the great players of all time. Uh, he's continued that form, of course, never got near that sort of goal tally again. Uh, that's how remarkable a season it was. And I dare say few would disagree with this, Finey. 
he is almost certainly going to be the last person we ever see kicking 100 goals in a season. A remarkable, remarkable year of football from the most watchable player in the game, Lance Buddy Franklin. Yeah, well surmised. Good work. And, of course, the other huge story was the amazing Hawks of 2008. And that's my football highlight. The grand final that, I guess, didn't go to script. But if you were Alistair Clarkson and the engineers of this Hawthorne Premiership, it played out absolutely beautifully. So setting the scenes along, heading to this game as favourites. And Hawthorne, whilst they always to be respected in finals, Hadn't won a grand final for what sixteen seasons? Seventeen. So this was yes, you're right. Seventeen, seventeen years without winning a grand final, and they started well. Um, I think Chance Bateman and Xavier Ellis both gold early. Five goals each in the set, first quarter. Yeah, they set up an early lead, but then uh, there was Ablett and Max Rook were able to pulled the game back for the Hawks and it was a very entertaining first quarter, five goals apiece. And Geelong actually, I think, led by one point at quarter time. Uh, The second quarter was the start really of sort of Geelong's problems in as much as inaccuracy would become an issue for them. And Cameron Mooney uh, famously missing from... How far out would he have been, Rowan? Five oh, metres, seven, metres. seven metres, very, very slight yeah. angle after the half-time yeah. siren. You know what? They yeah, kicked in that second quarter, don't you? They kicked one nine for the second quarter. Yeah. And, and, I mean, the problem was, unfortunately, they were unable to create the sort of scoreboard, much like North Melbourne versus Adelaide in 1998 that we talked about recently. They weren't able to put on the scoreboard what they were doing on the field and it would catch up with them in that famous third quarter where the best laid plans of Clarko and his men just worked out beautifully and it was that burst with Stuart Dew in later on in the quarter responsible you know there, there were three goals that either Dew kicked or set up and in and all of a sudden what was an unlikely outcome was starting to come to fruition before our very eyes. It, the one thing was they, they'd already lost Trent Crowe for the game. So there was that to be considered. Nevertheless, they take a 17-point lead into three-quarter time with all the momentum. And it should be said that that last quarter was a real, it, I, I think, you know, that it could have gone either way still. There were opportunities for both teams, but it actually was Buddy Franklin that bust the game open with a, a fantastic goal. Um, and that was followed up by Sam Mitchell. And before you knew it, Hawthorne were heading to the Dyers. But maybe the margin, not quite indicative of what that last quarter could have been for the Cats. It was still a compelling game, I think, with 10 minutes to go. Nevertheless... 18 goals, seven, that's 25 scoring shots, to 11-23, that's 34 scoring shots. And what? They win by 26 points. An amazing grand final. 
It was. Uh, Geelong dominated the inside 50s too. Definitely had more than 60 that day. That five-goal burst by the Hawks came in just on 10 minutes. Luke Hodge, Cyril Rioli, Stuart Dew, Mark Williams, Stuart Dew. And yep. as you said, Dew um, involved in at least three of them, the two he kicked and Mark Williams's goal in between. Cyril Rioli, memorable passage of play on the members' wing where he took on and beat, I think, three Geelong players, and that set up one of Dew's goals. Um, they were inspired, and and uh, that's the sort of game it was. It was it was uh, nip and tuck, and then Hawthorne's just gone bang, bang, bang. Geelong, they'd lost one game out of uh, 24, so uh, they just weren't used to being confronted like that, and they were stunned, and they just couldn't recover their poise in time, and a great win by the Hawks. That is certainly one of their most memorable of all the flags they've won. Um, yep, a great uh, year for the Hawthorne Footy Club. And uh, there you go. We've got the double there, footy memories. Uh, and, of course, and, of course, Luke Hodge winning the Norm Smith medal. Indeed, the first of two for yep. him. All right. That is vinyl and video this week, all the way back to 2008. We don't have to go too far back for our next segment, Finey, other than into our tortured souls. Because, Finey, it is time for the rant off. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, well, we've been talking draft today, naturally enough. Uh, so probably not that surprising, Finey, that uh, when it came to the rant, I was in a draft sort of frame of mind. That is the theme for my rant this week. Would you count me in, please? I certainly shall. Three, two, and number one. I'm pissed off with the AFL draft, Finey. Two aspects of it particularly. First of all, for a system which is supposed to be a simple reverse ladder order exercise to help the struggling clubs, it's fair to say this exercise has become a little unwieldy. So the first round last night consisted of 26 picks. How does that work? Have we suddenly acquired eight new clubs, a university in Fitzroy back in the game? Yes, I know. It's the result of bids on academy players it's compensation for free agency and the little-known first-round adjustment process for AFL clubs who've pre-listed 17-year-old kids whose name ends in a consonant, a tall of 190 centimetres, and whose favourite movie is Shawshank Redemption. OK, that's a joke. But seriously, there are that many complicating factors now that unless you actually work inside an AFL club's recruiting department, you've got bugger all chance of understanding how it all works. Or you've at least got to spend most of the year brushing up on your knowledge, not only of the kids actually being picked, but the point system which sorts out who ends up getting picked where. We've talked a bit on this show about how the whole trade and draft period has become an industry in itself and the vested interests who are feeding off it. Are we actually losing sight of the main game here? I mean, I can see universities offering courses now in AFL drafting formulas 101, and that is rocket science. Secondly, what are they trying to pass the draft off as these days? Entertainment? Well, if that's the case, guys, I'd be having a good look at the format because Wednesday night's extravaganza moved so slowly it made some Logies telecasts look like a newsflash. And when the Logies run on and on and on, you at least get a few crappy song and dance routines to keep you partially awake. What did Fox Footy's production have to keep you watching during the slow bits on Wednesday night? 
Kevin Shifter Sheen getting all excited about two clubs swapping picks in the 200s and Sarah Jones running out of superlatives. I don't know if someone forgot to put the time clock on or Fox just thought, well, half a dozen board looking officials sitting around a table waiting for the production guys to post the pick that long since made is compelling viewing. But this had a longer running time than Ben Hur, and nothing nearly as exciting as a chariot race. At one stage, finally, I started feeling pretty sorry for poor Jamara Eugle Hagen. It felt like by the time the last player was picked on the night, he was probably going to be announcing his retirement. As one journo rightly noted on Twitter, we seem to have no problem with 50-odd picks taking about four hours, but everyone's getting all angsty about quarters of actual games running any longer than 20 minutes. Work that out. There's only so many teenage kids you can hear talk about how stoked they are to be selected. There's only so many times you can repeat, we've got a good one here, and only so many times you can hear about dreams being made before it all starts seeming like more of a nightmare. Geez, I had their issues getting Zoom to work properly too. How are you feeling, Elijah? <laughs> Compelling interview. It made our production values on this show look like a Hollywood extravaganza. Look, I know it's summer and the AFL and broadcasters are desperately trying to keep footy in the headlines, but there's only so much attention you can hold while you move at glacial pace through 60-odd names hardly anyone watching has actually seen play. Finally, just for the record, I covered the very first national draft all the way back in 1986. And it's fair to say it was a lower-key affair than these days. Not a TV camera in sight. In fact, just four journos sitting around the kitchen of the old VFL house in Jolomont Street waiting for Jack Hamilton's secretary to bring us in a bit of photocopy paper with a list of names on it. It was bloody great stuff. You had Peter Simonovich chain-smoking, Ronnie Carter shouting at an aged copy taker down the line, the guy from AAP trying to file on the draft while simultaneously writing the lead from Canberra about Prime Minister Bob Hawke bluing with the state government while I just did my best to clean out the mini oven of party pies. Given a choice between that and last night's drudgery, I reckon I know what the punters would rather be watching, Finey, and that's even before I launched into my karaoke rendition of Living on a Prayer. Now that's what dreams are made of. Oh, Rowan, beautifully put. You finally nailed it. Well, when I say finally, you always nail it, but you certainly nailed it, and you finally gave us what we want to see or would love to see. While watching paint dry last night, absolutely shocking. I'd much rather watch the Gernot's room and all the idiosyncrasies of your ilk. Oh, it's a, a therapist picnic finding. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. Well, given that last night was the national draft from hell, why not continue it with my rant on what has become the most ridiculous exercise in football media done every year? It seems as though football fans are thought to have an insatiable need to have everything related to their clubs rated and assessed. Given the old primary school A, B, C, D, E or F, well, how can you do it for a national draft of young footballers that are yet to pull on a boot? Now, I'm assuming 
that the journos charged with this responsibility are forced to do it at gunpoint because no self-respecting journalist would put their name to such a stupid exercise. Yet, it's done every year. So we were told this morning that Collingwood get an A+, whereas poor old West Coast Eagles get a C-. Has somebody seen any of these players play a game of AFL football? I don't think so, because none of them have been introduced to their new teammates yet. How on earth can you be expected to assess the success of a team at a draft for young footballers who are yet to play a game? 200 years ago, such forecasts into the future would have got you burnt at the stake at Salem for witchcraft. But not now. It gets you a job at afl.com.au or Fox Sports as one of their leading young journalists analysing this year's national draft. Well, I think it's pretty presumptuous to tell West Coast that they are a C-. minus. What are you saying, young, young journo? West still uh, young enough and, and inexperienced enough to be doing the shipping news, yet you're telling the West Coast Eagles recruiting team that they're a C minus. Do you know something they don't? Or have you just been forced at gunpoint, I hope, to come up with these ridiculous assessments? Winners and losers from this year's draft will be known in three, four, maybe not even five years time. Until then, it's absolute folly. And I, for one, give all of those assessors a C minus. Very good, I agree. Wholeheartedly, I mean, it's also talk about comparing apples with oranges. You've got, you know, some sides with half a dozen picks. You've got some sides with, well, the Eagles only had, I think, two picks, wasn't it? Or three at most. And yeah, two picks. And they're drafting for different needs. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's surely, even if you're going to assess it now, it has to be assessed in combination with the trade period and the other, and the rookie draft. I mean, it, it but you're spot on. I mean, it's the same even post the event. You can't really assess a draft properly, I, I would have thought, for five years after it's happened. Um, which, incidentally, we do right here at Footyology. Ronnie Lerner has done a very compelling redraft series where we take the drafts of yesteryear and, uh, in hindsight, do a redraft as to how they would have been drafted with the benefit of hindsight on their careers. And it's come up with some very interesting results so all of that on the website if you want to look that was a a terrific grant finally well done and very topical uh that is the end of this show but uh, a very quick plug to our wonderful sponsors if you will a plus for the best burgers in town that is andrew's hamburgers a for andrews a for assessment 144 bridport street albert park and if you want the gold standard in home renovation or new builds altogether, it's West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's inner southeastern Melbourne suburbs. Thanks to our wonderful sponsors. And thank you to you, our wonderful audience. Always appreciate your support. You can demonstrate that in a financial sense by heading to our ACAST podcast support page right where you're listening to this or by visiting our Patreon page, uh, the links to which you can find on the Footyology website. Some great reading from this week up there now, including 
uh, Ronnie Lerner's wrap-up of this year's National Draft and indeed the Rookie Draft. I know he's working on that as we speak. In fact, it'll be up there on the shore by the time you listen to this podcast. But always appreciative of your ongoing support. Well, the footy action probably dies down a bit now, but that doesn't mean this podcast does. We've got plenty to talk to you about, and we'll do that when we catch up with you next week. See you then.